Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Nice Work If You Can Get It. The man who only lives for making money Lives a life that isn't necessarily sunny Likewise the man who works for fame There's no guarantee that time won't erase his name The fact is The only work that really brings enjoyment Is the kind that is for girl and boy meant Fall in love, you won't regret it That's the best work of all if you can get it Hey, hey, some people have to work for a living, all right? Holding hands at midnight starry sky nice work if you can get it and you can get it if you try but first, how are we doing? I hope that everyone had a good Juneteenth, which insanely is a is, is a moment in our history that I was not familiar with until this year, and I credit that to all of the black voices that I have begun to follow on Twitter. That was a history lesson that I sorely needed, and I hope that everybody was able to find a way to be of service on that day, whether it was signing a petition, making a donation, or marching in the streets as part of a protest. I hope that everybody wore their masks and did their best to be respectful of other people's spaces. Now more than ever, that seems to be a really key, crucial aspect of the social contract. Yes, a lot of people are breaking it, but that doesn't mean you should be breaking it. <laughs> so I'm just going to take a moment here to encourage everyone to be as safe as they can. If you're not marching in the streets for a noble cause, there really is no need for you to be out and about. No need for you to be going to bars or restaurants or the movies. I know we all miss the movies. I miss the movies too. I'll be recording our first episode of M3, the movie musical. Man, today I love talking about the movies that I see, but that is no reason to be unsafe. That is no reason to put the lives of others at risk. This is a this is a noble cause that we're fighting for, so please continue to fight, be strong, encourage everyone in your life to do the same. Now, in this opening segment, I am going to just seed my time. I'm going to plug another podcast. I have nothing to do with this podcast. The only connection I have to this podcast is the fact that my friends Brian and Meredith host this show. It is called Reach. It is a space podcast for kids. It is being marketed as such. It's a fantastic science show. There is one episode out now, more episodes are coming down the pike, and if you have kids or are a kid at heart, I would encourage you to check this show out. If you're desperate for some sort of educational tool that is also a lot of fun, <laughs> look no further. Stop being desperate. This show is here. Again, it's called Reach. That's R-E-A-C-H, a space podcast for kids. They talk to astronomers. They talk to Earth. The planet Earth is one of their first guests on that first episode, and I cannot recommend it enough. Look it up. It's on all of the available platforms. Unlike us, we are not available via Spotify, which is a fact that kills me every single day, but Spotify doesn't accept M34 or whatever the fuck audio files we put out. <laughs> And I am not going back and converting everything to MP3 files. I've been rambling a lot. Let's focus on the show facts regarding this week's subject. Nice work if you can get it. Show me the show facts. <laughs> so, nice work if you can get it was a 2012 nominee of the for the for the 
Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on April 24th, 2012 at the Imperial Theater and ran for 478 performances. The book was written by Joe Pietro and it was inspired by material by Guy Bolton and P.G. Woodhouse. The music was written by George Gershwin. The lyrics were written by Ira Gershwin with additional lyrics by Buddy De Silva. Hello, Buddy. The director of this production, Kathleen Marshall. The musical director, Tom Murray. Choreographer, Kathleen Marshall. Scenic design, Derek McLean. Lighting design, Peter. And I apologize in advance for the mispronunciation of this last name here, Peter. Let's go with Peter Kazowski. Kazowski? Oh, I'm really mangling that. I do apologize. Sound design, Brian Ronan. Costume design, Martin. Oh boy, Pakeldenaz. Pakeldenaz. Uh, yes, let's go with that. I'm sure it's incorrect. I apologize again. The original Broadway cast of this production included Matthew Broderick, Kelly O'Hara, Terry Beaver, Robin Herder, Judy Kay, Stanley Wayne Mathis, Michael McGrath, Estelle Parsons, who you might know as Estelle Harris from the original sitcom Roseanne. Hello. I don't know if she ever appeared on the reboot or the spinoff, The Connors. Is that technically a spinoff? Let's keep moving. Chris Sullivan, Jennifer Laura Thompson, Cameron Adams, Clyde Alves, Kimberly Farre, Robert Hartwell, Stephanie Martinetti, Barrett Martin, Adam Perry, Jeffrey Schechter, Joey Sorge, Samantha Sturm, Kristen Beth Williams, and Candace Marie Woods. Tony nods. This production won Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Michael McGrath, and it also won Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Judy Kay. It was further nominated for Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, Joe DiPietro, Best Leading Actress in a Musical, Kelly O'Hara, Best Choreography, Kathleen Marshall, Best Direction of a Musical, Kathleen Marshall, Best Orchestrations, Bill Elliott, Best Costume Design, Martin Pakladnez. Oh, goodness gracious, Best Sound Design, Brian Ronan. So, in total, 10 nominations and two awards at the end of the night. Oh, okay, so the plot. In all honesty, I can barely muster up the energy to summarize the plot of this week's subject because, I mean, who could possibly care? Shows like my one and only crazy for you and nice work if you can get it might as well take place in a shared universe, one where the champagne wishes and caviar dreams of white people are only temporarily stalled by the machinations of blandly conservative ants and eternally befuddled senators. The books of these musicals are always drowning in incident, aren't they? There's always a lot going on, but if you're in the market for memorable characters, meaningful relationships, rock-solid comedy, or emotional resonance, Forget about it. Everyone on the production side assumes you only showed up to watch women in pastel flapper dresses dance with men in fuzzy sweater vests around a fake fountain, and goddammit, that's what they're gonna deliver. It'll roll over you like a layer of dry ice, and when it's over, you'll barely be able to form a coherent thought as you stumble toward the merchandise stand. Uh, you're out of the magnets? Uh. I made a comment a second ago about these Gershwin musicals always being about white people, which isn't entirely true. BIPOC people do appear in these musicals. Someone went to the trouble of casting one or two BIPOC actors, and every now and then you might hear them deliver one or two lines of dialogue. In the case of Nice Work, if you can get it, two of the 12 ensemble members are non-white, Candace Marie Woods and Robert Hartwell. See? They're on stage. Uh, some work was done, and that work resulted in some representation. Now, will you see a BIPOC actor in a lead role? Probably not. Will you see a BIPOC actor in a strong supporting role? 
Probably not. Stanley Wayne Mathis plays a police chief in Nice Work, but I don't know if that's what you would call a strong supporting role. From what I can tell, the chief has about as much impact on the course of events as Lieutenant Brannigan does in Guys and Dolls. Not exactly a juicy part for Mathis, who, among other credits, was in the original cast of The Lion King and played Schroeder in the Broadway revival of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Let's do a bit of math. Swinging on a star, which shares a cast member with nice work in Michael McGrath and is very much within the same genre as nice work if you can get it, featured three black actors out of an otherwise white cast of seven, whereas nice work features three black actors out of an otherwise white cast of 22. In terms of percentages, that's a little under 43% versus a little over 13.5%. Star premiered in 1996, Nice Work premiered in 2012. As a reminder, those numbers speak volumes, don't they? I'll just say it because it doesn't sound like much of a generalization. When people mount these Gershwin musicals, they assume audiences associate the Gershwin aesthetic with white faces, which is why you don't generally see BIPOC performers play at the forefront. I keep using the term BIPOC, but when was the last time an indigenous actor appeared in a Gershwin show on Broadway? My larger point is that casting as a process is steeped in racism and needs to be severely re-evaluated. Need I remind everyone that productions of Hairspray are only required to cast black actors in black roles as of this month? Well, I suppose I've put it off long enough. Let's uh, talk about the plot of this week's subject. It's 1927 and Jimmy Winter is a wealthy lush who's in a bind, his mother, Millicent, has threatened to disinherit him if he can't find someone suitable to marry. Billy has been married several times and is currently engaged, but will this marriage prove any more fulfilling than the others? Oh, such a bind to be in. Jimmy, having spent the night at the center of a wild bachelor party, stumbles into the night and runs into Billy. Billy is a bootlegger, you see. A bootlegger in a bind! Oh, such a bind! She and her tough guy cohorts, Cookie and Duke, are desperately trying to find a hiding place for 400 cases of gin. When Jimmy drunkenly mentions his beach house on Long Island, a light bulb appears over Billy's head. Bing! A beach house! Bing! On Long Island, bang, perfection, bang. Our bootleggers promptly make their way to Long Island, stash the hooch in Jimmy's cellar, and disguise themselves as servants so as to hide out from the cops. The game is, as they say, afoot. When Jimmy and Billy meet face-to-face -face once more, Jimmy has no recollection of their first encounter because he was drunk, you see. He's a lush. What's more, Jimmy is now married to a gorgeous yet prudish modern dancer named Eileen Evergreen. This proves to be a problem when Jimmy and Billy fall in love. That's right, love! But what's this? Jimmy never officially had his last marriage annulled cheese and crackers on a fucking shit biscuit. Now he and Eileen have to do the whole wedding over again. Eileen won't have it any other way, nor will her stern father, Senator Max Evergreen, or her aunt, the Duchess Estonia Dalworth. Estonia is fiercely conservative and committed to the cause of prohibition, which is ironic as she eventually falls in love with Cookie who is a bootlegger. In related news, Duke is falling head over heels for Jeannie, a chorus girl who assumes he's actually an English Duke. Fun, fun stuff. What the fuck is with all of these names? Anyway, Jimmy, Billy, Cookie, Jeannie, 
Mickey, Minnie, Willie, Dixie, Pixie, Edie, Rudy, Terry, Opie, Bobby, Polly, Andy, Sandy, Dandy, Frankie, Georgie, Corky, Vanny, Zoe, enough already. Look, let's skip to the end, shall we? Millicent, Jimmy's mother, as you'll recall, shows up to announce that Jimmy's real father is Senator Evergreen, which makes Jimmy and Eileen half-siblings. There's a running gag throughout the show about these two almost having sex a number of times, which is, you know, disgusting. Jimmy winds up with Billy, Cookie winds up with Estonia, Duke winds up with Jeannie, and I wind up with uh, a headache. Oh, Millicent also reveals how all of her wealth came from bootlegging, ironic, which makes Billy the ideal in-law. She can take over the business when Millicent dies. Fun, fun stuff. As a reminder, Crazy For You is also about a wealthy idiot who has a domineering mother and a shrewish fiance and falls in love with another woman. My one and only may not have any of those elements, but it is set in 1927, the year in which nice work takes place. The male ingenue in Crazy For You is named Bobby. The male ingenue in My One and Only is named Billy. The male ingenue in Nice Work is named Jimmy. I can't deal with this anymore. I mean, seriously, where is the rule book for these shows? Is it sitting in some eyes wide shut bunker surrounded by terracotta warriors? Chris was keen to note how a show like Guys and Dolls, the aforementioned Guys and Dolls, has a comparatively flimsy plot, and I would have argued with him, but I was too busy flying away in a hot air balloon. Whee! For the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 2012 original Broadway cast album of Nice Work, if you can get it. And I also watched the Tony Awards performance of Someone to Watch Over Me slash Sweet and Low Down. We'll talk about that Tony Awards performance in just a moment. But first, let's officially begin our deconstruction of the score. <laughs> know how much I enjoy a fully realized overture. The overture as a critical component is too often overlooked by new musicals, too often reduced to little more than condescending fanfare. Sit down, be quiet, the show's about to begin, curtain up. A proper overture is like a well-drawn bath. You sink into and steep yourself in it. You relax your muscles and say goodbye to tension and distraction, and once you've given yourself over to the atmosphere of the room, your mind is free to drift just about anywhere where it's an important part of the process of theater. I'm making it sound as if overtures should be sage-scented incantations from a Pure Moods album. Not so, the rollicking overture can feel just as cozy as any other, and the nice work overture has rollicking energy to spare. I didn't mention him during our show facts segment, but music orchestrator Bill Elliott has done an excellent job here. The score sounds fantastic, and it all begins with this uber-confident, lush introduction. 
money was clearly spent on bringing in the right crew and ensuring these arrangements would leap off the page. This isn't, there isn't, I should say, there isn't a Casio horn or drum machine to be found, and I appreciated the authenticity, the authenticity, mightily. Now, this is a very sad occasion, because tomorrow morning our own Jimmy Winter is getting married for the third time. Fourth time! Yeah. Only this time, this time I'm not marrying some cheap chorus girl. No. Oh, oh, sorry, cheap chorus girls. That's it, sorry. This time I'm marrying a real lady, a respectable lady, one who's, who's never even been arrested. Yeah. There's a cabaret in this city I can recommend to you. Helps you up like electricity when the band is blowing blue. They play nothing classic, oh no, down there. They crave nothing else but the low down there. If you need a tonic, and the need is chronic, if you're in a crisis, my is grab a cab and go down to where the band is playing, where milk and honey flow down and everyone is saying below, that's sweet and low down. I didn't share my thoughts on Nice Works, Tony's Nice Works, Tony Awards performance, so allow me to do so now. Uh, it's fine, if a little confusing. The presentation begins with Kelly O'Hara singing Someone to Watch Over Me, though the context of the scene has changed. In the show proper, Billy launches into the number after kissing Jimmy at his beach house, uh, but for the purposes of the Tonys, the character is shown guarding her booze with a shotgun. It's meant to be funny, this image of a lovely and lovelorn woman wielding a weapon, but even if you're not aware of the change in setting, the tone feels off on a fundamental level. Something's not adding up. O'Hara has been set adrift to a certain extent contextually, and that reads on stage. We then segue into the song you heard a moment ago, that being Sweet and Lowdown. And aside from a few instances of clever choreography, the number simply doesn't land. I don't buy Broderick as a tramp who chases after chorus girls, and I don't buy it when the chorus girls moon over him. They may as well be flirting with a walking, talking cheese Danish. All told, it's not an especially memorable segment, so how is it that Sweet and Lowdown proves eminently more effective as standalone audio? Perhaps it's a simple matter of feeling nostalgic for Broderick's work in The Producers. He's driving chorus girls insane over here. He's driving chorus girls insane over there. It's all very much within the same wheelhouse, right? Broderick seemingly understands he's treading on familiar ground, which results in an easygoing performance. He seems more at ease in the studio than he does on camera, at least. Unfortunately, this proves to be a rare high mark for Broderick, who is either uninterested in or flatly incapable of taking Jimmy to greater depths comedically or dramatically. He's on dopey white guy autopilot. What you get is what you see. When it works, it works. It's derivative, but it works. And when it doesn't, you boy, are the results ever dull. We get it, Matthew. You have one goofy facial expression, and it's, is there a snake behind me? Put it away. Someone to watch over me 
to yet another rendition of Someone to Watch Over Me sounded about as exciting as watching someone else eat a fried egg. That sounds actually kind of exciting. But if anyone can make an overripe torch song sound fresh again, it's the one and only Kelly O'Hara. This is a total walk in the park for her, as easy as sitting up in bed and yawning, but she isn't tossing it off. The same vibrative ache found in the light in the piazza can be identified and found here. So if you're feeling wrung out and in need of a restoration, I cannot recommend this performance of Someone to Watch Over Me Enough. When I keep seeing things and going places, my life has color. Without new songs, without new friends and faces, it would be much duller. Whenever people step up to say, let's step tonight. If I've been low, I pep up, again the future's bright. Whenever there's a party I can go to, it makes the world seem right. When music is playing and couples are swaying, say, I've got to be there, I've got to be there. When joy's in the making and ceilings are shaking and there's never a care, I've got to be there. Check my hat and throw the stub away. I'm a lamb who's gone astray. When bottles are popping and dignity dropping and the women are fair. I've got to be there. Nothing much to report when it comes to I've got to be there, as I simply thought it was the only other instance where Broderick sprung to life on this album. It forms a sort of forced dyad with sweet and lowdown. Remember the forced dyad? Neither do I. What am I talking about? Help! Chris would probably take this moment to reiterate how Broderick killed, I shouldn't be laughing, Broderick killed two people in a car accident in 1987, which I'm sure we covered during our episode on The Producers. Tell me if we didn't. (laughs) I don't know. Stop laughing, Jonathan. Looking over the details again, it's clear something was up. Broderick doesn't remember the accident. The initial charge, causing death by dangerous driving, was reduced to careless driving, a difference between five years in prison and a small fine. And though he agreed to meet with the family of the victims, that meeting never took place, which is really shitty. He allegedly had not been drinking on the day of the accident, but that seems fishy, right? Uh, Look, I'm not a detective, but I do smell fish. Eh. We're too different. You know what I'm talking about? Not really. You say either, and I say either. Huh? You say neither, and I say neither. Follow along. Either, either, neither, neither Let's call the whole thing off Come on now You like potato and I like Potato? Yeah You like tomato and I like Tomato Potato Potato Tomato Tomato Let's call the whole thing off Fine, it's off and she's coming with me But oh, if we call the whole thing off 
must part And oh, if we ever part Then that might break my heart So if you like pajamas And I like pajamas I'll wear pajamas And give up pajamas For we know we need each other So we better call the calling off off Let's call the whole thing off Hold on, that still don't solve your problem Officer, what problem? She says laughter and you say laughter You say after and he says after Laughter, laughter, after, laughter Let's call the whole thing off I like vanilla and you like vanilla You sarsaparilla and I sarsaparilla Vanilla Vanilla Chocolate Strawberry Let's call the whole thing off But oh If you call the whole thing off Then you must part And oh If you ever part Then that might break my heart So if you go for oysters And I go for oysters I'll order oysters And cancel So you better call a calling off off. Let's call a whole thing. You know, Gertie, even though we only just met, I already love you more than any of my wives. seem I spoke too soon on the matter of Stanley Wayne Mathis. Happy to hear him in the mix during this gently ironic take on Let's Call the Whole Thing Off. He's also featured in the number Demon Rum, a reprise of the song called Delicious, which we are not covering today, and in the show's finale, they all laughed. So the role of Chief Barry is clearly more substantial than a Lieutenant Brannigan. I don't believe Lieutenant Brannigan ever sings on stage, ever. When I'm right, I'm right, and when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Right, that's right. However, it still feels as if Mathis hit a ceiling of opportunity when it came to casting, and I'm not convinced anyone considered him for a lead role. You say cynical. I say realistic. You say virtue signaling. I say shut the fuck up. Cynical, realistic, virtue signaling, shut up. Let's call the whole thing off, and by the whole thing, I mean the system as it currently operates.
wonderful made me realize how much of a crank I'd been when approaching this week's subject, and for that, I apologize, all right? <laughs> nice work may be yet another Gershwin jukebox offering, but it has a hell of a lot more heart than crazy for you, a show so bereft of soul, it could serve as the definition of a rictus. If one were to use food as a point of comparison, and Lord knows I love using food as a point of comparison, crazy would be a frozen TV dinner, while nice work would be a proper home-cooked meal. Both may pull from the same general recipe, but only one requires patience and care on the part of the chef. Am I about to praise Bill Elliott once more? I am. Broderick and O'Hara aren't what makes this track special. They have about as much sexual chemistry as high school musicals Ryan and Sharpay. It's the extended instrumental break that makes this track work. These orchestrations consistently set my toes a tapping and left me feeling a cheerful. And I thank Mr. Elliot for that gift. Thank you, Bill. I'm firmly in the pocket of Kelly O'Hara, but she can't hold a candle to Jody Benson when it comes to the line, it's all bananas. Benson's phrasing is practically the only element of crazy for you I recall with fondness, and I would play it for you here, but my software goes insane whenever I try to drop in two tracks with the same name, 404-error-b-o-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-b-
when Judy Kay as Estonia and Michael McGrath as Cookie come together for a hot-tempered mashup of By Strauss and Sweet and Lowdown, it proves to be nothing short of adorable. So, why does it take so long to get there? Estonia takes up nearly 60% of the number with a solo that feels positively endless. It's not Judy Kay's fault. The solo is simply too long. Like, we get it. This this lady's... She's into Strauss. She, she's into Strauss. We get it. Stop acting like the joke has the elastic durability of taffy. No, 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 stretch it out. The people will be begging for more. They will not, trust me. I had essentially resolved to bypass this track in our coverage when Michael McGrath finally made his entrance, at which point I thought, oh, these two are a hoot together. What a nice pair. I could listen to them squabble all day. My advice, audiences enjoy watching opposites attract, so run toward that. Run, don't walk. Cut Estonia's solo in half and reap the rewards. You'll thank me for it. peek into my inner monologue while listening to Will You Remember Me, shall we? Oh, Kelly O'Hara is emoting. I will pay attention as her skills give me no other choice. I would follow that voice into the rocks. Now, Broderick is presumably trying to emote, but I do not need to pay attention. Yeah, I, I don't need to do that. Why would I? He sounds like Dave conversing with Alvin and the chipmunks. <laughs> no major offense intended, but Broderick delivers almost every Gershwin tune he's handed, like he's reciting a body poem at your retirement party. That airy cocktail hour spirit isn't inappropriate when applied to other numbers, but O'Hara is operating on another level here and effectively left Broderick in the dust. I, I don't blame her. I doubt Broderick could care less. He's too busy applying every ounce of energy to maintaining breath control and making sure his eyes don't pop out of their sockets. No major offense intended. The range, the color, the intention, where is it? He doesn't have it. O'Hara's final sustained note on this track, by the way, has a low-key piazza energy. Wanted to make sure I noted that. Okay, so that does it for our score deconstruction. The material I skipped over, by the way, a whopping 19 tracks, way too much music in this show, is serviceable. All that material is serviceable, and I will probably never think of it again for as long as I live. There are worse sins. <laughs> Let's get a word from our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Yum, yum, yum in my tum, tum, tum. I'm glad I'm not the official spokesperson. Take it away, 5678 Coffee.
hello, it's me, Merlin the Wizard from the musical Merlin. Oh, hello, my ladies and my gentlemen and everyone else on the gender spectrum. I'm here to talk to you today about 5678 Coffee, the most delicious coffee in all of the 14 kingdoms. Yes, that's that right, 14 kingdoms, fantastic. Now you know me, I'm Merlin the Wizard. I deal in magic, yes. Now you might think dark magic, no, 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 no. I don't deal in dark magic, I deal in, ah, I'm merely more of a trickster, you know? I take a duck and I put it into a box, and the box has a duck on it, and then when I, I, I turn the box around, the other side of the box has a chicken on it, and then when I take the lid off the box and I pluck the creature out, it has transformed into a chicken! You have no idea how well that goes over in the Middle Ages. Ah, but I'm here talking to you in 2020, and I'm here to tell you that the most fantastic piece of magic I have ever encountered, the the most incredible bit of witchcraft I've ever encountered, 5678 coffee, that's right. I put it into what is known as a coffee machine, a coffee maker, and it was poured right into a cup right before my very eyes. I can't do that. I don't know how to do that with my witchcraft, my sorcery, and yet here it is right in front of me. You know, this is a terrible time. You people, I mean, I come from the Middle Ages, which, you know, that was a very disgusting time. Nobody wore shoes, and uh, everybody was stumbling around with dirty feet, puking all over each other. And, and, you know, the knights were shitting in their suits of armor, and, you know, the babies all had scabs. All the babies were just, uh, half the time, my magic was cleaning scabs off of babies. And everyone always said to me, oh, Merlin, you're so fantastic. What a terrible time we live in. Well, welcome to 2020, where everybody's dealing with the most fucked up shit imaginable. And yet, here is a small miracle. Five, six, seven, eight coffee. Oh, it's the little things that keep you from going crazy, isn't it? Oh, I only wish that I had five, six, seven, eight coffee back in the Middle Ages. Instead, I was cleaning out giant foaming piles of shit from the buttocks area of fucking suits of armor. It was not fun for me. Everyone thinks, oh, Merlin, from the musical Merlin. Oh, what a wonderful life he must have led. No, it was mostly, it was mostly taking what was essentially the Middle Ages equivalent of a, a, a ladle, no, like a, a spatula. That's it. I had a Middle Ages era spatula, and I was scraping crusted noodle shits off the buttocks areas of suits of armor. Oh, good lord. Five, six, seven, eight coffee. You can count on it. And the Middle Ages cannot count on me anymore because I left a really long fucking time ago and I'm never going back. I'm never looking at any other shits again. I don't even look at my own shit. I make it disappear with my wand and my magic. Much like the characters from J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. What a piece of fucking shit she is. Fuck you, J.K. Rowling. I'm Merlin. You can count on me. And you can count on 5678 coffee. <laughs> count on it. And now I'm going to disappear. And by disappear, I mean I walk behind this green velvet curtain. Pay no attention. Whee! Final thoughts regarding nice work, if you can get it. Let's review my wild trajectory from this past week, shall we? I started out assuming my bad experience with Crazy For You would only be extended by my time with Nice Work. A foolish assumption, as it turns out. Nice Work performed a charm spell on my pants. Did it charm the pants off of me? Uh, no. No, my pants did not come off, but they were pulled down to just below my hips. And considering this metaphor is disgusting, I believe I will put it away for forever. 
Thank you. Moving on, brother. Kelly O'Hara, a treasure as always. The orchestra, sweet as punch at an outdoor barbecue. Don't go to outdoor barbecues. And as for all other elements, they were wholly inoffensive. No real complaints there. Now, would I pay to see a regional production of this show? No, of course not. This team should have fallen to their knees once they had Kelly aboard. She's the number one reason for checking out the OBC album, and without her, there's no reason to engage with this musical. But what are the orchestrations? You said you liked those. Yeah, I need both. If you can secure O'Hara and an orchestra that matches the caliber of the one featured on this album, then you shall see my wallet, okay? All of my notes regarding representation and casting still stand, by the way. There's no way to justify 19, casting 19 white actors, I should say, for a 22-member cast. That's racism at work, plain and simple. Now, in 2012, as a reminder, the Tony Award for Best Musical went to Once, which we have covered here in the past, and the additional nominees from that season were Leap of Faith and Newsies. Leap of Faith is the only nominee from this season that features an entirely original score. The show can boast that much, but the score is also hopelessly mediocre, so there's no need to pull on that thread any further. Should Newsies have taken home the big award? Huh. Well, I enjoyed my time with Once Well Enough, but it rings a bit hollow in the memory and has continually fallen on our ranking. Uh, decisions, decisions. Uh, let's give it Let's give it to Newsies for the time being. I'm giving the big award to Newsies. It features an army of twinks. Newsies, more like Twinkies, am I right? Someone should write a musical called Twinkies. Let's rank the show. Nice work if you can get it against all of the other subjects that we've talked about here on the podcast. Oh boy, this is a segment I'm very familiar with. You'd think I'd be able to talk my way through it without having a meltdown. I am putting nice work if you can get it at number 38, right between number 37, which is Once. Once is now inhabiting the 37th slot. That's a change from last week. And then at number 39, we have The Wedding Singer. So Once, nice work if you can get it. The Wedding Singer, you're your neighbors now. Your neighbors, congratulations. And as always, if you want to see how all of the shows have been ranked, you can go to our Twitter profile, Musical Man Pod. Go to the likes. It is the first tweet in that like section. It, it should be. It should be. Click on that pinned tweet. You'll be taken to a Google Sheet. Go to the second tab. That's our ranking, baby. Let's do some show-related ephemera, shall we? Okay, so I found a commercial for Uncle Ben's food products. Uh, you know, uh, Uncle Ben, you might... <laughs> You may, you may have a long life on shelves, uh, considering the fate of Aunt Jemima. And now that I think about it, that was... I found this commercial before the Aunt Jemima news dropped, actually. And now a lot of people are pointing out that Uncle Ben, not exactly... <laughs> I've not looked up the history of that mascot, but if it's anything like the mascot Aunt Jemima, I have a feeling it's real fucked up. Uh, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> That's a sort of a tangential note there. I want to talk about this commercial, which is known as Duet. It features a couple singing the Gershwin song, Let's Call the Whole Thing Off. This is the, should we play the audio now? I'm going to play the audio now, actually, and then go to my description of this. So it's really creepy. The audio is just really, it's really strange hearing these two people sing this song to each other because they're not even trying to go for some sort of melody. It's really just, it's disquieting. It's got a Hannibal Lecter, Silence of the Lambs quality to it. Let's drop that audio here. I didn't know if you liked red or white. Uh, doesn't matter to me. I'm good with either. <laughs> Something funny? No, what? I just... Tell me. Well, you say either and I say either. Either? 
either. Neither. Neither. Let's call the whole thing off. You like potato. And you like potato. I like tomato. I like tomato. Potato. Potato. Tomato. Tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. Yeah. So if you like pajamas and I like pajamas, I'll wear pajamas and give up pajamas. Dave. You say laughter and I say laughter. Uh, you know, you I have say some... after, and I say after. Shall we? Yes, okay. I've, I've got to go. Laughter. Laughter. Let's call the whole thing. Laughter. Laughter? For we know It's weird. Okay, so this is the harrowing tale of a cisgender heterosexual white couple who overcome their differences over the course of the ad over steaming hillocks of Uncle Ben's rice. I'm pretty sure the commercial shames the wife for working while the husband is left alone to care for their daughter. That's one of the bumps in the road that they have to get over. But all is forgiven once they sit down for a meal of mushy rice plasticine veggies and soapy chicken. There's a close-up shot of someone presumably adding a dash of spice to the meal, but it feels like an empty gesture. These white people are not interested in spice, okay? They like Gershwin. <laughs> and then our second piece of ephemera this week is the opening theme for Sybil, a sitcom that ran for three seasons back in the 90s. It starred Sybil Shepard and Christine Baranski. Hello, I don't have a clear memory of the show itself, but Shepard's rendition of Nice Work, if you can get it, in this theme has absolutely stuck with me. Shepard is the only person I've heard who flips the note on how. Won't you show me how? I like that little subtle flip. It's an A-plus grape job sticker choice, and everyone should imitate it. Surprisingly, here's some additional context for you regarding Sybil Shepard, and then we're going to talk about Christine Baranski for a bit, because I want to. Shepard has only appeared on Broadway once, as a replacement in the 2012 revival of Gore Vidal's The Best Man. Of course, 2012, I just put this together is the same year and season that Nice Work If You Can Get It would have premiered. I just made that fun connection. Okay, so Gore Vidal's The Best Man. The production only ran for 185 performances, which is crazy when you consider the original cast included. Candace Bergen, Carrie Butler of Xanadu fame, James Earl Jones, Angela Lansbury, and John Larroquette. 
Maybe it was a limited run? That's the question I have whenever a number seems low. Maybe it was a limited run? John Stamos also appeared as a replacement in this production for all of you how rude stands who are still out there. Christine Baranski has a number of Broadway credits on her resume, though I was doubly surprised to discover only one of them is a musical. That would be Nick and Nora, a Charles Strauss Richard Maltby Jr. production, which only ran for nine performances in December 1991. The show managed to secure a single Tony nomination for Best Original Score, but alas, a victory was not in the cards. Strauss and Maltby, what a Mad Libs pairing. Uh, Sondheim and Joe Iconis! Baranski hasn't appeared on Broadway since her 2008 appearance in the Mark Camilletti play, Boeing Boeing, so I think we know what needs to happen once COVID is off the table, right? Put Christine Baranski back on Broadway and in a musical. Oh my god, she needs to be the star of The Devil Wears Prada. Done! I'm a genius, I'm acting like I just had this idea in the moment, but I have it written down, but when this idea initially came to me earlier this week, it really blew my mind. That's a galaxy brain idea if ever there was one. Eh, I don't know, Patty Lapone should do it. Shush! Christine's time starts now. To determine what show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, The Dying Chrysanthemum. Everyone ready? Then away we go! So we have landed in the year 2016. I'm looking at a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. I believe this did close before the COVID crisis, the pandemic, and I believe that when it closed, it had logged 1,544 performances. I hope that's accurate. I don't like to be wrong on this podcast. That show is none other than Waitress. Thank God. I, I really do like Waitress, and these past few weeks have just been giving me shows that are just okay. You know what I mean? They're either actively annoying me or they're just sort of okay. I Okay, so I'm, I'm glad that Waitress is coming up next. That's a great show. It has a huge fan base. That's going to be a lot of fun. Now, this Waitress episode will drop Wednesday, July 8th, as I will be taking next week off. But in lieu of an official main feed release next week, we'll be dropping a free episode of Wildcats Everywhere on July 1st. Which one? Well, our deconstruction of the 2006 made-for-TV classic High School Musical, of course, the original film. There was a poll on Twitter. Did you not vote? You should have voted if you were on Twitter and you follow us. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. You can donate one, three, or five, or ten dollars a month. As a reminder, our July 2020 payout, 100% of that, will be donated to the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. And beginning at the top of August 2020, all of our payouts indefinitely will be going to the Black Lives Matter organization. It's true. Now, if you donate one dollar a month, you get Monday early access to main feed episodes. You get a verbal shout-out each and every week. So thank you very much for donating. Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marques, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You get bonus episodes as well covering the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage production Emma, and you also get an episode regarding Take Me to the World, that concert that just was dropped a couple of months ago, 
couple of weeks ago? Jesus Christ. I do not know how time works anymore. You also get season one, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, for which I, that's sort of like an audio, I've said this before, it's like an audio journal show where we listen to some of my favorite songs from outside of the canon of musical theater. It's true, it's true. And then, dropping today, this has dropped today. If you donate $1 a month, you will get monthly episodes of M3, the movie musical man, for which I watch trilogies of movie musicals tied by a common theme. Our first episode, which drops today, is all about Stone Cold Classics. Actually, if you're getting this on a Monday, if you're an early access listener, you're going to have to wait a couple days. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but in any case, it's coming out this week. Our first episode is all about Stone Cold Classics. That's the theme. So we're watching and discussing The Wizard of Oz, Singing in the Rain, and The Umbrellas of Shabur. So get to watching those movies so you know what we're talking about. And if you haven't seen them, you need to watch them anyway. Even if you're not going to listen to the show, you need to watch those movies. $3 a month will get you everything I've already mentioned, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. And Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the High School Musical Podcast. You're going to get a free episode again. I'm telling you right now, you're going to get a free episode next week. If your appetite isn't whetted by that episode, you can get all 10 episodes by donating $3 a month. Now, if you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. You get season one, 12 episodes of All I Ask of You, the advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. And you get our ongoing series of Broadway and Chicago reviews. And you get Shout About It, Volume 1, a collection of 5, 6, 7, 8 ads and musical shoutouts from the first 25 episodes of the podcast. And if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned, plus Season 1, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. They were snubbed, so we talk about them. If you listen to the show via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to leave a five-star review. I love reading five-star reviews. We don't get nearly enough of them, so if you are listening. If you are listening through Apple Podcasts, please do it now. Why do I always have to beg for these reviews? This is a fantastic show, and we deserve to have a thousand five-star reviews, is what I say. Stop being lazy. I'm calling you out right now. You know who I'm talking to. You know who I'm talking to. You can also stream the show via Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com, and you can follow us also on Stitcher. You can stream through Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod.com at gmail.com. Email me with stories, questions, hot takes. Confront me. Throw me off my game. Really call my shit out. I don't care. Just send me an email. Emails are fun. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny. Oh, Patty and Benny. I love you. I love you, Patty. I love you, Benny. Alex Green for our beautiful logo and Zach Little for our fabulous music. Oh, you know what that sound means. Uh, yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically in two weeks, on the next brand new episode of The Musical Man. So, long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night. We can do this easy, or we can do this hard. Oh, you're my best friend.
if there was something going on, you would know about it. Okay? We do it hard. All right, all right. Sibla. Good Lord, I can't. Go look in my purse. Look in your purse? Why can't you just tell me? This must be something major. Okay, here we go. Compact, lipstick, keys, travel Yahtzee. <laughs> Pen, pregnancy test. I don't believe you. This is my pen. 